one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. and welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space episode 538 for the week of Monday, December 2nd, 2013, nearing the end of the year. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Just finishing my Thanksgiving dessert, Sawyer. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about tonight. Can't wait. Oh, yes, indeed. And welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Now, we may sound settled and calm, but previous uh, little bit before we started recording here tonight, we're not exactly in that vein, so we'll see where it goes. <laughs> Good to be here. Oh, yes, indeed. And a big part of that is our special guest who's joining us. We're finally glad to have a female back with us on the show. She is one of the co-founders of the Space Flight Group, which Talking Space is a proud partner of. Please welcome to the show, Emily Carney. Thank you for joining us. Excellent. Thank you, and I'm very honored to be on this show. I love it. Thank you. We're so glad to have you with us. And if only it was sooner, not all the way at the end of the year. But <laughs> Hey, hey, now's as good a time as any, but I'm very happy. Exactly. Now is definitely as good a time as any with a recent launch, or lack thereof. And that is our <laughs> first story, and that is about SpaceX. And we'll start this one off with Gene. Thank you, Sawyer. Um, you know, I've been tracking the story for uh, for a little bit as uh, we've been going along. Um, as folks who listen to this program know, we've had a couple of launch attempts on the uh, the Falcon 9 1, 1.1 out of uh, Cape Canaveral Air Force Station at uh, Launch Complex 40. And, uh, well, we had our second launch attempt uh, over Thanksgiving. That launch attempt didn't exactly go all that well. We were hoping to see some good fireworks there, but uh, we got up to, I believe, and Emily, you can uh, correct me on this one. I know we got up to uh, almost like like uh, T minus two seconds, and the computer shut everything off, if I'm not mistaken, for the first time on Thursday. And uh, then... The one ahead recycled, refueled, vented the spacecraft, and uh, we tried it again, got to uh, the AOK for to recycle to 13 minutes, uh, T minus 13 minutes. Um, and that didn't exactly all work all that well either because a manual uh, hold was called at T minus 48 second point. Now, to give you a little bit of a clue what what's going on here with with uh, with this particular vehicle, SpaceX has been contracted out to launch um, a communication satellite for SES. 
this communication satellite, once launched, it was manufactured, oddly enough, by Orbital Sciences, uh, once launched is going to serve uh, Southeast Asia and Asia. So this is a paying, uh, this is a paying deal for SpaceX. Uh, and this is also part of a whole deal that they have. I believe they've got about a billion dollars worth of, uh, of uh, launches sort of waiting in the wings for, uh, for different particular, uh, you know, different concerns and so on, so on. And this is how they're making their money essentially. Um, but this launch attempt again on Thanksgiving, which kind of scratch made me scratch my head a little bit because even with, and Mark, if you remember too, when we were there for the, uh, for the launch of the Mars science laboratory, we were there over Thanksgiving and we did not, we could have launched Thanksgiving, but we didn't. We kind of held off to allow, uh, you know, NASA workers and, uh, anybody else supporting that particular launch time to go ahead, have their turkey with their families and sit back and enjoy. SpaceX decided to go ahead, roll up their sleeves and please the customer and get this off and going, which, you know, I guess it's hats off to SpaceX for thinking globally and not locally, but it still kind of made me wonder how much money are they shelling out in holiday pay to keep all of these folks going <laughs> for, uh, for uh, this for this particular launch concern, but um, anyway, moving right along, we got up to the uh, T minus forty eight second point. They called a hold. Uh, we didn't exactly know why the hold was called. In fact, we didn't exactly know why the first hold was called until we we looked at uh, Elon Musk's Twitter feed and we found out that there was some kind of engine anomaly that they were looking at. I believe there was some uh, uh, oxygen stuck in a in a valve somewhere that shouldn't have been, and they hoped that essentially burping the spacecraft was going to go ahead and release that oxygen and things were going to be off and, and going. Uh, that did not happen, I'm guessing, because I don't really know enough about what had occurred uh, with the first time. So, and And I believe even the launch control confessed that they didn't exactly think that they had their act together from the first attempt to go ahead and do the second attempt. So a uh, manual hold was called. They chose the better part of valor, I think, in this effort. Um, they decided that uh, we're not comfortable with the situation. We see something that we don't like. We can't explain it. Rather than going ahead, risking the vehicle, and risking our our customer's vehicle, uh, we're going to put a hold on this and you know roll everything back, take a look at what's going on, and really understand the problem. So to wit, I I, I salute them. I salute SpaceX from a technical standpoint because uh, one of my main concerns was was go fever. And I don't see any indication of that. I see, I see an organization, at least from a technical standpoint, that is trying to be, you know, very careful, playing it by the numbers. They're being conservative. And in spaceflight, everybody listening to me and, and this panel will agree that's the best way to go is to be conservative, think it out 
and make sure that you've got all your I's dotted and all your T's crossed before you hit that red button and launch. Because I believe it was uh, it was just I think it was STS-134, Mark, when we that that they had that problem that that scrubbed the launch for the first time. And I recall I think it was Mike Leinbach or Mike Moses that said it's better to be you know. You know, on the ground and working a problem than be aloft and working a problem and wishing you were on the ground. So um, that's where we are as, as far as the launch itself is concerned. We were going to make a launch attempt tonight. And Emily, you would have been out there uh, to, to see that. Uh, unfortunately, that attempt was scrubbed for tonight. Fortunately, you're with us here tonight. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, the re how I found out about the, the reschedules and everything else, and this is one of, and, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say this and I'm, I had this debate pretty much the entire weekend with folks and a lot of, a lot of folks kind of sided with me in, on this, quite frankly, was that it, I, I'm going to be blunt here, the communications between SpaceX the press and the rest of the community at, at large out here have basically been, well, non-existent. If you don't follow Elon Musk's Twitter account, you ain't getting information. Uh, I brought up the fact that last week I had to go to uh, Spaceflight Now to get the SES um, press kit, and uh, that kind of aggravated me a little bit. But to go to the press site on on the SpaceX webpage, right now the latest update over there is for the uh, Falcon 9 1.1 flight at Vandenberg Air Force Base that happened in September. Um, with all due respect, I, the, the 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 press kit for the SES 8 mission should be there. There should be a flow of information about the status of what's going on. There should be a flow of information there on, you know, and I'll, I'm going to take a page out of Orbital Sciences book uh, where if you really want to see the, the launch, where to be and so on and so forth. There is absolutely zero there for the press. I mean, in order to go ahead and, and make, make any type of uh, inquiries, we, you either have to email them or or get you know or call SpaceX or or look at Elon Musk's Twitter account and you know Emily we had this conversation pre-show I'm I'm frustrated with all of this it's just not maybe am I spoiled here or or or, or what do you think well I'm used to you know granted you know SpaceX is not you know NASA or Orbital or anything else they're their own organization however. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I, I kind of got spoiled, you know, with those organizations prior to a launch or whatever. You know, they usually release or, you know, at least uh, very enthusiastically give out a, a press kit, you know, to the media or anyone who's really interested. I mean, you can go and retrieve, you know, press kits for NASA missions from, you know, God, the, the 60s practically. Right. You know, on PDF nowadays to this day, you know, it's not really an issue. Um, so, you know, that, that is, you know, for someone who's, a, from a, somebody who's a, a space journalist perspective, you know, it's, it's a bit frustrating because it's difficult to write about, you know, because 
you want to update, you know, between myself and Jason Ryan, we're the co-founders of the Spaceflight Group. You know, we've been going back and forth the last few days, you know, updating, updating the website about this mission, and it's we're getting updates from Facebook. <laughs> we're not getting updates from SpaceX, and that 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 to me is problematic. You know, I probably said way too much that I, that I should be saying, you know, and I love SpaceX. I love their hardware. It's nothing personal against them. It's just, I'm, I'm used to, you know, with NASA or with orbital or with, um, other organizations, they'll, they'll release a statement, you know, like a detailed statement and about what, you know, issues they've been having or whatever. And we're going to recycle, go back to this date and launch. And, um, I don't feel like we're really getting any of that. I shouldn't have to go to somebody's Twitter for an update, I shouldn't have to look at other people's Facebooks for an update. You know, I I, I think that's odd. That's all. Emily, I'll, I'll be blunt. The way I found out about the Monday reschedule is looking at at the the the, the spaceflight group Facebook page, confirming that with Jason, and then looking at uh, another individual's Facebook page to confirm that who was local to, uh, you know, who I, I think she lives in Titusville, Merritt Island, somewhere around there. Um, I, I'm like, you know, I shouldn't be, I, I shouldn't have to do that. I should just go to the, the, the SpaceX website, as you said. There should be a press release saying that we're working a technical issue. The next available launch time is between, you know, Monday and Wednesday at this time, we will send out further announcements as the, the the situation becomes clearer. As we all know in the space business, Emily, you've been a you've been following this for probably as you know when you were since you're knee high to a grasshopper. Ditto here. <laughs> we all know in this business, whether you're a journalist or not, technical things happen. Things will bite you. We understand that. And we're willing to say that we're willing to work with you here, but you got to work with us. We really want to sing your praises. We really want to go ahead and shout to the mountaintop your successes, but you've got to work with us here too. And you've got to make sure that we get the right story from you. Otherwise we're going to go digging. And if we go digging, we may not get the message out that you want to see. That's all I'm going to say. And to SpaceX, again, I know I'm going to hear it from a lot of folks that, that really, really love them, that really, really applaud them and so on. But, you know, shoot, I, I respect what they've done the past 10 years. They have built the first indigenous engine in, in Lord knows how long here in the United States, the Merlin, the Merlin engine. They're to be congratulated for that. They're to be congratulated for, for building the, the, these vehicles from the ground up, literally. And I'm not going to go ahead and belittle these achievements. They're, they're colossal. And, and in only 10 years. Wow. But, you know, shoot, from a, from a public relations and from a, from, a, from a press relations standpoint, I think they've got a lot to learn. And I, I really wish I could say that. Oh, well, it's because they're a startup. They're just kind of learning. Folks, you've been around 10 years. Come on, man. You, you, we're not the enemy. you got to work with us here. Yeah. And my thing is, you know, um, 
I, like I, I agree with you totally. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for SpaceX. They've done a, a tremendous amount, you know, of, of amazing, you know, work in the last decade or so. And I'm not attacking them at all, their hardware or any of their proponents or anything like that. You know, I, I you know, Mark can attest. I've been out to their, you know, one of their launches even. You know, I, I and it was, it was, it was mind blowing. It was amazing. You know, and I do like what they do. It's just, um, I know SpaceX has, you know, been working on commercial crew and things of that nature. And, you know, right now we're dealing with the SES-8, that, that launch. It's, a, it's an important launch for SpaceX, but, you know, it's just a commercial payload, really. When they start launching people eventually, you know, that's when I'm like, well, that I, I want to know more, you know. <laughs> I'd like to know more. That's what I'm, you know, concerned about because payloads, if you lose a payload, that's, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting they would lose anything, but it's like, you know, you have a concern about a payload, you know, it's a, that's a lot of money, but still it's, you know, no one's going to, you know, no, no one's going to die, you know, that, so that, that's all I'm saying is I'm, I'm concerned, you know, when they start launching human beings eventually someday. You know, and I, I, you know, I'd like to see some a little more openness. There. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, Emily, I'm with you, and I think maybe that's what it's going to take. Although I have a sneaking suspicion that once, once the commercial crew uh, aspect of what SpaceX is doing with uh, with Dragon starts, I think NASA is going to be in the in in the catbird seat with that. I think, yeah. you know, that that that's it's going to be up to them. Uh, you're going to see them controlling the cameras like they did on Apollo and all of that stuff. And I think NASA is going to take the the lead in in such efforts. At least I hope they will. The first yeah. one, maybe not so much because you're not going to have a uh, a NASA crew on board. You're going to have, you know, SpaceX test pilots essentially on board. You're not going to have NASA astronauts on board. In the case of the first ferry to the International Space Station, uh, yeah, you're going to have that openness. And I think maybe that that's when I think they're going to open up, but not until then. I grant you, they don't have to really do that because they're not beholden to the U.S. taxpayer, for instance, with this SES launch. But as things go further, they will be beholden to the U.S. taxpayer. And that's when I think the, the die is going to change. I mean, they don't really have to tell us if they don't want to. And in this case, they've chosen not to. But we, we, we really want to go ahead and sing the successes here. And this is a critical launch for SpaceX. This is the first time they are launching Falcon 9 1.1 out of, out, of, uh, out of Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. And this is kind of you know, critical because this is where also, you know, a lot of these vehicles are going to be launched from. Yeah. So, so their reputation's on the line. And as yeah. such, they are playing it close to the vest, technically. But, you know, shoot, that doesn't mean you have to be the, you know, the National Security Agency with your press releases. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I think another, you know, maybe something that might be affecting um – them too is um i know with their last falcon 9 um they they launched one from vandenberg uh, i want to say in september a couple months ago which was carrying uh i think i'm saying it right cassiope and uh the um 
I know, like, after um, they deposited the satellite in orbit, they did a, some testing afterwards, and there was a rumor that there was an explosion in one of the phages and stuff like that, which which they debunked. They released that. They did release a you know a press statement saying you know that didn't happen and stuff. And um, I think maybe there's so much scrutiny about their launches and everything. You know, being that they're you know they're they're kind of brand. I wouldn't say brand new. They're relatively new in the, you know, space game. There's a lot of media attention. You know, Elon Musk is kind of got, you know, this celebrity war around him, you know, and it, it, it is and it, and it is pretty cool. I'm not, you know, what they're doing is really kind of cool and hip and, you know, a lot of young people are interested in it and stuff like that. And um, I think with that, with the slight anomalies they may have encountered with the last one, you know, maybe they're a little gun shy and stuff like that but you know i i would like to add i'm not attacking spacex for having anomalies because every every mission has anomalies. <laughs> you know this is stuff that happens with every space flight and i mean the mission there the launch was successful that they did so i mean it wasn't like you know something catastrophic happened you know there were just some minor glitches and stuff which which happened in pretty much almost every space flight you can ever imagine they're just they're a new company, relatively new company. You know that the technology is somewhat new, and you know you're going to have things like that happen. You know, and um, so maybe you know after that they kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say freaked out, but maybe they, you know, they got kind of gun, you know, gun shy after that happened because there was some attention paid to it. But you know, looking at it, you know, from a historical perspective, a lot of things when you're trying a new launch vehicle, you know there's a lot of anomalies and every company's had, you know, issues with new launch vehicles. It's not, it's not a new phenomenon at all. And the, the vehicle performed its function. It put a satellite in orbit, which is what it's supposed to do. So yeah, maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know, but I agree. I would like to see, you know, I would just like them to, you know, update their launch manifest, you know, so journalists can be like, Oh, okay. We know for sure when something's going up, you know, because, you know, between, I can't really speak for myself, you know, but it, it's kind of like, man, am I going to the Cape today? Like, do I got to get in my car? What's going on? <laughs> you know? yeah. To to kind of speak to your point, point, Emily, one of the things that they did do on that flight really quick was they cut off the coverage a little too soon. Had they not done that, I think a lot of these other problems would have gone away. We they, they cut off the coverage before payload separation, before we actually knew that um, McDonald Detweiler satellite was in orbit. That was number one. Number two is I believe they cut it off way before even even staging. So that's one of the things. If they did that, then maybe we'd be in a better spot. Hey, Mark, you have a couple of things you wanted to, wanted to add on this. Well, just to take us to a happier place and a happier time, I noticed on Twitter on Thanksgiving Day, on the uh, the last launch attempt for SpaceX, that there's a gentleman by the name of Kimball Musk. Does that sound familiar? On Twitter, he's at K-I-M-B-A-L, and uh, it's Elon Musk's brother. And lo and behold, he had a blog that he started in November of 2005. name of that blog is... Uh, well, I'm not going to give you the name of it, but the heading on it is Kwajalein Atoll and Rockets. 
And his first entry was November 23rd, 2005. And he's saying, I'm officially in the middle of nowhere writing a blog from Kwajalein Atoll, where SpaceX, my brother's company, is launching their first rocket in a few days. And this begins a series of dozens of blog entries that start in 2005 and continue through 2008. So don't look there for current news because apparently this was a blog he did for a time and then moved on. But uh, it's interesting to read this where he talks about the facts of where Kwajalein is and the the setup that they had for rockets that their control room was, um, I believe it was 26 miles from the island that the rockets launched from, and it talks about some of their procedures. And it's kind of interesting to read this. Um, and if you're interested, uh, Kimball Musk and his quajrockets.blogspot.com makes for some interesting reading. And on Kimball's uh, Twitter feed, I did see on the evening of the 28th a picture of the VAB in the darkness lit up with some floods, and he says, until next time. So he was there for that uh, launch attempt. He was retweeting. Uh, he was providing some of his own information and retweets and information from Elon. And uh, anyway, it's quite interesting to contrast a bit of this and especially the historical perspective that I think he provided in the, the early blog entries with SpaceX. Thanks, Mark. And again, that, that that's going to be an interesting read. I did not know about that. So I, I really appreciate you pointing that out. I'm going to go ahead and dive on there and take a look. Yes, indeed. Now, now you get what Mark was saying. We were talking about the intro about how things got a little exciting with the conversation as thankfully they did during the show. Um, Thank you, Gene and Emily and Mark, for that. Yeah. It really is an interesting topic. And, um, well, here's hoping that uh, it has a better safety record than the Tesla at the moment. I know, that yeah. was a terrible... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I know, that was terrible. I have a friend who owns one, and I love SpaceX as a company. Again, as you mentioned during it, they are a great company, but their PR department does need a little bit of work. But anyway, here's hoping that their launch does go off on time now that I'm out of Florida, because the last two times I've been in Florida for a SpaceX launch, it has scrubbed within T-minus two seconds or less. Your fault. Isn't it always? Yeah, I, I wish them all the success in the world. Like I, like I said, um, I saw the CRS-1 launch uh, in October of last year, and um, another, another nighttime launch. It was just, it was phenomenal. Like, that that rocket, it, you know, this is kind of a, just me blathering on. I mean, it was, I've seen, you know, night launches before, and it's such a, it looks like a small rocket when you see it on the pad. So you don't expect that it'll have a lot of juice to it. I was wrong. Uh, I was in awe of the power in the light show. I mean, it was, it was incredible. So, I mean, I, I wish them the, uh, they got a nice, powerful little rocket there. And I, I, I wish them all the success in the world. I just wish they were a little better about releasing information. That's all. Amen. Agreed. All right, then. Well, speaking of releasing information, we'll move on to our next story, which is one that has made the headlines around the world pretty much as a big story, and that is Comet Ison. We've mentioned it before, but it came to its possible conclusion. And by possible, it turns out 
it is its final conclusion as NASA announced today. Comet Ison started to brighten its way in the sky after it was discovered in September of 2012, and they figured it would make its way towards the sun November of 2013. And it did. Within the last week, it made its way around the sun, and in doing so, it put on a quite a nice show, and some of the NASA satellites, such as SOHO, and those caught some great imagery, as well as SDO. And it's they're really cool to see it as it goes around the sun. However, as it comes back around the sun, all that was left, according to a NASA article here, was a small bright spot seen moving away from the sun, which could have either been debris or a small nucleus of the original ball of ice. Regardless, the article says, quote, it is likely that it is now only dust. And with that, after three million years of journeys from the Oort cloud, carrying evidence possibly of the beginnings of the solar system, untouched by the sun previously, is now dust. It put on a heck of a show, and it raised some great awareness of both comets and space in general, as well as the threat of near-Earth objects, even if this one wasn't too near. Yeah, again, Sawyer, I was watching, I, I, well, I, during the Thanksgiving holiday, when when we were watching Ison coming out and around through the sun, there was a uh, hangout that I believe was put on by the Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, a Google hangout. And uh, a lot of the Goddard folks kind of took time out of their Thanksgiving dinner and took time away from their families to talk about this, uh, this comet that was going around the sun. Uh, and it was hoped that we would see it relatively intact. And I believe Dr. Phil Plate was there. Uh, a few of the other NASA scientists were also online. And they were all discussing the possibilities of, you know, Ison getting either annihilated by the sun or actually surviving. And this thing went on till about, I guess, what was it, about three, three o'clock in the afternoon. And a lot of the, the, the SDO images, we didn't see a darn thing. Uh, at, at the prescribed time, and a lot of hope was fading for Ison at that point. Uh, one scientist basically said, though, well, let's see what happens. In a few hours, we should see a tail if anything survived. And lo and behold, a few hours later, after the program had shut down, there was a Soho image, and lo and behold, there was something out there with with a with a telltale tail, and we got excited. The whole Twitter Twitter exploded, Facebook exploded, all that good stuff, and we were all getting kind of excited by this. But if you took a look at the uh, the Soho image a little bit more, it kind of looked like there were two pieces there. So there was a lot of, well, it, it, it was not pretty in, in plain English. Uh, so there was a lot of, you know, despair. And, you know, I guess now it's all confirmed. But the good news is that Ison went ahead and taught us a few things. Not only did it give us a great show for the past year, and there was hopes that this was going to be another hell bop or another um, Hayataki. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't even turn out to be another Kahootek. But um, uh, we decided, but um, 
it, it, it did go ahead and teach us a little bit about comets. It did make us a little bit more aware of debris. It did make us a little bit more aware of a few other things. And there's still hope that, that ISOM can go ahead and teach us a, a little bit more. As, as uh, Dr. Plate pointed out in, during the Google Hangout, he said that uh, whatever comet ISOM became in orbit around the sun, those constituent parts are still maybe somewhere in the solar atmosphere. So it might be interesting to study what is going on in the solar atmosphere now as a result of the disintegration of comet Ison. So as you pointed out, Sawyer, some of the material that is some, what, six billion years old may now be scattered in the solar atmosphere, just waiting for us to look at it. So there's still a lot we can learn from Comet Ison. There's still a lot we can, we can, you know, just kind of look back and get excited about. But uh, unfortunately, are we going to see the brilliant, uh, you know, Christmas star in the sky? Probably not. Yeah, the hope was that it would come out and then put on a New Year's show of being a ridiculously bright comet, as you mentioned with you know some of the previous ones. But nonetheless, if nothing else, within the last year, they've done more research on this than any other comet previously. It's the largest set of comet observations of all time, according to NASA.gov, which should provide them plenty of information for the next couple of years for understanding comets as a general because again according to the nasa article it says the number of space-based ground-based and amateur observations were unprecedented with 12 nasa space-based assets observing over the past year so they got a lot of great information out of this and even though it didn't put on a show on the way out it gave us a heck of a show going in and a heck of a lot of information going forward and speaking of blogs one of the uh items that i found this was a post three days ago and it's sdoisgo.blogspot.com, and it's the SDO blog. And they have a, a post that they put up on Friday the 29th where it was Comet Ison. So it's a nice little read if anybody wants to read some more information. Okay, so as Comet Ison finishes its way around the sun, we will finish round number one. And that just happened to rhyme. Since there's four of us here tonight, we're going to be doing only two rounds, but these rounds are loaded with information. So let's move right along to Gene and some lunar history. Yeah, a little rabbit decided to go ahead and leap for the moon over the weekend. Uh, this rabbit, though, was from China. Uh, this was uh, a, a launch from, uh, from the uh, uh, Southwest China's uh, Satellite Launch Center, a Long March 3 rocket uh, carrying... A, uh, a lunar probe, uh, I believe it's pronounced Chang-3, uh, that particular lunar probe was launched at about 1.30 a.m. local time, which I believe was almost about, oh, I want to say around the same time, 1.30 p.m. here in uh, on the east coast of the United States on Sunday afternoon. Uh, on board was a solar slash nuclear powered uh, little rover, and this little rover that we talked about a little bit about uh, last week, uh, called U two or Jade Rabbit, is going to go ahead and land on the moon. Its target is the Bay of Rainbows region on the moon. Uh, 
it's probably been selected because of the fact that it's it's really a basalt plane just about but i remember another basalt plane that we tried to land in and that was apollo 11 and we know how much fun neil armstrong had flying over a boulder field there uh, but that area was probably selected because it is a plane and because it looked like it was a pretty good area to land. For those of you trying to find where that is, just look at the eye on the man in the moon, and uh, you shouldn't have a, a huge problem trying to find it there. Take a look at, you know, get your favorite moon map, too. There's a lot of uh, applications out there on the web, too. If you've got, like, an iPad or an iPhone or, or any type of mobile device, you can go ahead and pick it out there. Um, the launch coverage that... Uh, was rebroadcast. I did not see it, unfortunately. I had to, I had to piece it together from several sources. I have to thank uh, Emily Lactawalla from the Planetary Society for doing an exceptionally good job in live posting the information and collecting all the information for the Planetary Society website. Uh, if you want to go ahead, if you have not seen the launch, uh, I encourage you to take a look either at... Uh, uh, the uh, collection of stuff that's out there on YouTube, or simply go to the Planetary Society website, www.planetary.org, and take a look at what what they're doing here. Now, uh, I believe the the lander is scheduled to 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 land. I guess it is. Uh, last time I saw was Sept- uh, September, December fourteenth. So that's not too long long of a time. Uh, and again, once they get there, this, 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 this lunar, this lunar lander or this landing platform is going to make, make a, an attempt to soft landing in the, uh, in that area I mentioned before on the moon and dispatch this little rover that is going to run around the lunar surface and collect samples and, uh, do some, some drilling and so on. We had a conversation, Mark, you and I about the fact that, Laddie was hoping the Laddie the Laddie spacecraft uh, that NASA has there was hoping to do some pristine atmospheric tests, but now with this particular land, lander coming in, um, we're not going to be able to do those pristine readings. But we will see what happens when uh, when something lands in in the tenuous atmosphere of the moon and what happens to the dust and how it gets kicked up and where it flies around on the uh, uh, on the surface and how it flies up into the atmosphere. So I guess, as you pointed out last last week, Mark, it'll be a different kind of science. But um, one of the things that really, really surprised me is the fact that uh, China really went to the mat on this thing as far as it being a bit of a propaganda coup for them. Uh, the launch coverage, from what I saw of it, was extraordinary. They had cameras on on the booster all over the place, and we saw the thing going completely uphill. We saw we saw just about every mode of staging on on the Long March three booster. We actually saw the the vehicle separate from from the rest of the from the final stage of the Long March and 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 go into Earth orbit on its way out to the moon. Uh, it was quite a quite a show. And I guess China, you have to remember, too, 
the space program in China is not a civilian program. It's not like ESA. It's not like our National Aeronautics and Space Administration. It's not like the Japan program, JAXA. All of those are civilian in nature. It's a military outfit that is doing all this, and they were quite open about it. Also, you could hear a lot of the the excitement a lot in, in the voices of a lot of the the press covering this thing. You know, I don't understand Chinese, but you could get the inkling that these folks were really, really kind of charged up about this. Now, I don't know whether whether or not that was simply for propaganda purposes. Does the guy out on the street know that this is happening and and understand the the I don't want to mention you know, okay fine I'll, I'll say it understand the gravity of the situation understand that China is about make, ready to make this bold move uh, in into space. The other thing too, and Mark, you and I talked about this last time. There was a, a, a AIAA article out. Uh, I guess it was last week concerning the uh, lander itself and that lander is overpowered for what it has to do and that was not me saying that that was former astronaut well gene cernan and former astronaut buzz aldrin saying that that this landing that this lander that they're going to use to land the, the jade rabbit rover on the moon is is a is overpowered for what it needs needs to do uh, which leads everybody to believe that this is probably a test bed for a possible you know, piloted landing in the not too distant future. And although China's saying, even in their post-launch press conferences, oh, that's not really one of our ambitions, you know, come on, <laughs> we know it is. And it just... I don't know. Do you think they were just trying to, to, to play out on the propaganda and hopefully it got some buzz in the West? Because one of the other ridiculous things I did here was, and I'm not going to mention who this was, but we had this this talk about, uh, oh, somebody mentioned, hey, wouldn't it be really cool if they had a tweet up? And I'm like, uh, they don't have Twitter in China. That's blocked. Ditto Facebook. A lot of social media is blocked over there in China. You can't use it. So I, I don't know. I know people are, are are demanding we cooperate with China. Leroy Chow, in a in an article uh, quoted by uh, USA Today, uh, just today Monday, as we record this, also said, "Hey, we should cooperate with China." Buzz Aldrin urged the same thing. So did Gene Cernan to some degree, saying that we should we should look into what they're doing, maybe kind of help them out a little bit, but. Or show them where they're going wrong, or or whatever, in the hopes that maybe they might join us. We decide to all go to the moon together. I I, I don't know. Uh, number one, I think that's wise. I'm not sure because of other political issues, but I don't know. Th- th- these guys were more open than dare I say this? Shoot, their 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 public relations apparatus was more open than than well SpaceX was. So I mean. Are we looking at a propaganda coup here, or are we we looking at something else, or, or what? I w- I don't know if it's propaganda or not. I I was very impressed by the launch, uh, the, the coverage and the replays. I mean, they have just so much enthusiasm. 
I've been called naive. I've been called a lot of things, but in my ideal world, man, I wish we could. I'm I'm probably gonna get pounced on for even saying this. I wish we could have like an Apollo Soyuz with the Chinese in my ideal world because we have, you know, obviously the enthusiasm that was is there. Um, I remember a few weeks, few months ago, there was a I forgot the young lady's name. There's a uh, Taikonaut, and uh, she she did you know lessons from space and stuff like that, and uh, she basically did you know teach her in space type stuff. You know what Barbara Morgan did on her shuttle mission, and Barbara Morgan wrote her a lovely letter saying, you know, you know, hey, I really appreciate what you did, you know, and the Taikonaut wrote her back, and it was just really, you know, a beautiful exchange, and I was like, man, I would, if if things weren't so tense between us as nations, you know, I in my fantasy world, I wish we could work together, you know, but like I said, I don't, I, I've been told that I don't have a great relationship with reality concerning that, so... I would love to see that, though. I think that would be awesome because I think space is for everybody. Well, I'll throw some more good words in there. Um, I saw the the launch, and I was watching Twitter, and Chang E3 became a uh, trending topic on Twitter midday here in the U.S. on Sunday. Um, I also saw that the ESA, and I forget which which aspect of ESA was supporting it, but they were supporting it, I believe, with tracking. Um, there was quite a lot of excitement on Twitter about it. I thought that the launch coverage, in fact, somebody tweeted this. They said this may set a record for the longest launch coverage ever. You may well have because, like you said, Gene, they provided some phenomenal camera views and there was a commentary that went along with it. Now, the commentary at times, maybe it was after payload separation, I thought was uh, somewhat basic. I'd have to listen to the whole broadcast again and think about what I was hearing rather than multitasking and being distracted. So it may have been a little basic, but the fact that they were providing the information I think is noteworthy. Well, I know we've talked about this in the past a bunch of, you know, whether NASA should even, you know, partner with China and things like that with the International Space Station. I know we've talked about that before and how we know that's never actually going to happen. I feel like, you know, we're almost starting to fall behind a little bit towards China, not even just, you know, public relations and things like that and how well they handle it with cameras, but I mean, just the fact of where they're going, I feel like they're almost following in our footsteps a little bit, you know, slowly working towards men in space. They've got a small space station. They're sending a lunar rover. You know, I'm almost scared to see where this is going to go next if they're following in our footsteps, if this means a lunar landing is soon. And, you know, if we keep up the rate we're going, if China may not just catch up to where we are in the space game. Sorry, it kind of took my took the words right out of my mouth a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know if we're looking at a classic tortoise and hare story or not. Uh, we went through a lot in the '60s to get to to get to the moon, and I'm not sure whether or not China right now is profiting from that. I mean, grant you, it's going to be a while before uh, China can say, "Yeah, we're, we've surpassed the United States." We've got robotic probes on on Mars. We have robotic probes orbiting other worlds we've got one en route to 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 pluto right now new horizons uh we've got a whole fleet of 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 robotic spacecraft out there currently uh our our human program yeah there's a little bit of hiatus going on but we have a handful a whole plethora of new piloted spacecraft under development 
in how many? Um, I, I can't even count them on one hand. So contrary to popular belief, I don't think we're down and out. I think this is just sort of like the end of round two, uh, or at least I'm hoping it is. But I, I somehow wonder if if we have the momentum or if we have the desire or we have the drive to go forward. And I keep on thinking about – I brought this up many times in, on, on this particular program – uh, a speech that uh, none other than Wayne Hale wrote about China and specifically about Ming Dynasty China 500 years ago, where they basically owned the world. And after the, the last Ming emperor passed away and the last great admiral of the, of, the, of the Chinese navy had passed away, a new emperor came in and fell in under different opinions and thought that, yeah, word number one, let's look inward, let's take care of our own, let's make sure that, that everything's all copacetic here. And looking inward led to stagnation, which led to decay, which led to China being carved up by colonial Europe. And I'm wondering if we're playing out the same scenario now. And it scares me a little bit. So you bring up a good point. Do we want to keep going or do we want to go ahead, look inward and unfortunately lead down the path of stagnation, decay and finally, you know, boom, where we have to literally start from scratch all over again the way China has. And they have, but wow, have they have they come around. Can I make can I make a suggestion to that effect? Go. Go. How about we throw it out to the listeners? Amen. Do it. We want to hear your thoughts on this and, of course, any of our stories. You can email us at mailbag at talkingspaceonline.com. Tweet us at TalkingSpace or post it on our wall at facebook.com slash TalkingSpace. And we've been getting a bunch of tweets and emails from you guys, so keep them coming. Thank you. We do appreciate it. Thanks so much. We now go from China to Europe and from Jean to Emily. Yes. Um, hi. I just wanted to... Uh, <laughs> I wanted to just put out a, I write for the Spaceflight Group, Spaceflight Insider. This week we marked a really important uh, anniversary in man's spaceflight history. Although it is, it isn't on the side you might imagine. It's not, you know, it's not an, we do have an American one this week. We have uh, the Hubble rescue mission, the first, the, the first big uh, mission. We have that anniversary, I believe, today, where they story Musgrave and, his crew went up and they basically, you know, fixed the telescope, made it viable for you. So that's a big anniversary. One that I think gets overlooked often is Europe's, the anniversary of Europe's uh, first manned foray into space in 1983 with the uh, Space Lab 1, uh, STS-9. It was launched on uh, November 28, 1983. And I actually vaguely, I was very young. I was, I was, I don't even want to say how old I was. I do remember that because it, it was just it was amazing. Space Lab looked and was very ahead of its time to the effect that a lot of the hardware legacy you can still see in the uh, on the ISS today with the I think the Harmony and the Tranquility modules and the Columbus module looks like Space Lab totally. And also Germ uh, on that mission, uh, Germany launched its first uh, astronaut, Ulf um, Morbold, and that started, you know, a great heritage of putting European astronauts into space. Most recently, we uh, saw Luca Parmitano uh, travel on the ISS on his uh, Volare mission, 
which uh, volare in Italian means to fly. So and he was up there for around six months or so, and he had he had one close call, unfortunately, but he did have an amazing, an amazing, an amazing mission, and he was very in touch with you know social media people on the earth, and we got to see a lot of what he was doing, which was awesome. Yeah, I basically I, I wanted to uh, congratulate or celebrate the ESA's you know, 30 years of flying astronauts in space and also um, celebrating Space Lab and its amazing legacy that it, you know, left for a manned space flight because it, de- it contributed to other generations like, you know, Space Hab and things like that that came afterwards and also uh, a lot of the ISS hardware. Also, ESA, and a lot of people may overlook this as well, uh, has a lot of um, unmanned missions. You know, Hubble is a joint... Um, project with ESA as well. It says it, you know, on the telescope itself, so it's something to uh, think about. I'm, I'm a big fan. I read the ESA bulletin. Um, also, they have a lot of great information in it, so it's just something to think about, but I wanted to, you know, basically celebrate that this week. I wrote a little article about it for Space Flight Insider. There's some very interesting uh, photos, very 1980s <laughs> fashion good stuff. So, yeah, I just wanted to put out there congratulations to the European Space Agency, and uh, also in the next couple of years, we can see them uh, putting three other astronauts in space. we got got uh, Samantha Cristoforetti, who's Italian. We've got Alexander Gerst, who is uh, German, and we got um, Timothy Peake, who will become the first British astronaut who is in space with the ESA, because I believe Helen Sharman she uh, went into space under, I want to say, a private like a contest or something like that. And But she was the first British woman in space. And we've had American astronauts who are British citizens. or I don't know if they were British citizens, but they were born in the UK. So this will be the first United Kingdom ESA astronaut. So that'll be, that'll be historic as well. So, yep, they've had uh, 30 years of great success, and we look forward to seeing the future. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Hey, Emily, I was looking at your article while you were talking, and uh, good choice of pictures. It really is interesting to think back of the amount of time that's passed and the involvement of, of so many people in this. And uh, congratulations to you, and I know it's a team at Space Flight Insider for your website and the uh, the quality. I mean, the, the site looks great. The information you provide is, is outstanding. Thank you. Excellent. Th- thank you. And, you know, I... I, I, I um Gosh, I'm humbled. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, Jason and I are, he's a—he's uh, also, he co-founded the website. Jason Ryan, we're both, you know, really, you know, excited by the great outpouring of support that we've gotten, you know, and from, and uh, a lot of it's from Talking Space. So we really appreciate it. We love it. We have a great team. And all I have to say about the website is y'all ain't seen nothing yet. It's gonna, it's gonna look smashing and we have a lot to bring to the table, so we're, we're all very excited. It's a great site. It's a great source of information with launch dates and countdown clocks and news and history and so much. Definitely check it out, spaceflightinsider.com. There's also a link on every single one of our Talking Space pages on the right side of the page because they're just that awesome. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. We hope to continue being awesome and I'm, I'm pretty sure we will we've got a great team and some very enthusiastic people uh jason and i don't uh don't sleep much we both uh, work a lot on the website 
Jason really worked hard to help put it together, and we got a lot of great people who contributed and helped put the website together as well. Who I'm, I mean, just countless people uh, who I that I should like, you know, Mike Barrett, people like that, who just helped us put it together. We have a great team of writers who have come on board, and a lot more people who are. We look forward to coming on board and working with us. Awesome people in the community, and also, I mean, it's just. It's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm more on the history side. You know, I contribute stories about current things here and there, but I, I'm really into the history side of it. Uh, it's really neat to see all the little different pieces of, uh, you know, the website come together, you know, as they have. Uh, so, but anyway, thank you so much. We're Yeah, we're really excited about the future. We hope to keep putting out great information and updates and Hopefully we'll see this launch go off tomorrow <laughs> as planned. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, you can definitely count on us for up-to-date launch information. All right, and speaking of Spaceflight Insider, that's actually the source of my next story, and it involves Kepler. Uh, as you might recall, Kepler had a little bit of a problem a short while back. Malfunction left it unable to stabilize itself to keep observing exoplanets, which was its main mission. And, well, it seemed as though all hope was lost. However, there is now a new proposal for a refurbished Kepler mission dubbed K2, which basically could bring it back planet hunting, except in a very modified way. So basically what they're planning on trying to do is using everything they can in the sky to basically reacquire its pointing ability so that it can kind of target things and find out exactly where it is and keep itself stable. Well, what's an obvious star that it can use? How about the sun? And that's part of the plan. Uh, to quote the article, in essence, the sun would become the third wheel. How? By orienting the telescope so that the solar pressure from the photons coming from the sun is evenly distributed across all the surfaces of the telescope. This requires Kepler's orientation to be nearly parallel to its orbital path around the sun. And keeping in mind, Kepler doesn't actually orbit the Earth, but rather trails behind it as the Earth orbits the sun. So they're working on testing it out, and hopefully that'll be soon. We'll be able to explore the exact same types of stars as before? Probably not. Most likely it'll be looking at smaller, dimmer, red dwarf-type stars. But it's still, there's a good chance that there are plenty of exoplanets around these stars, and plenty of science to still be done. So we'll see. I think it may have a second light. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the first... Light, second light, actually, Sawyer. This is actually some good stuff, and I'm glad to see that a new mission has been given to Kepler. Kepler has done some astonishingly good work. Just, I'm just thinking back when I was shoot when I was in high school, college. We didn't know for sure whether whether or not there were planets around other stars. Now we've got catalogs of them. I mean, it's it's a stunning thought, and and it's good to see that Kepler is going to go ahead and resume its work as a as a planet hunter. And I'm glad they I'm glad NASA has sort of repositioned the, the the instrument to do all of this. So hats off to the folks that were able to make some lemonade out of the lemons that uh, were handed to them technically, and and really looking forward to. Uh, to Kepler's new life. Exactly, because keep in mind, even though it hasn't actually been searching for new exoplanets since uh, its recent failure, there's still catalogs, as you mentioned, of 
of observations that haven't even been looked at yet. There's still so many possible new planets out there to be discovered, even though the telescope isn't currently working. But um, it's had some issues since its problem in May, but they've already done a test image, and the second light image has been taken in the end of October. And it looks pretty good. It looks pretty clear. It looks stable. And it looks like we may have another... And it looks like we may have a telescope working once again studying exoplanets. To finish things off, we're going to stick with something NASA-related, but it's Mark style. So I'll let him tell you about it. Well, you know me. I'm always liking to send our listeners out to discover things on their own. And I like to give you some sources that caught my attention. I've mentioned this before and looked at it before, but recently I went to the nasa.gov slash connect page and from there you'll see a link for ebooks and uh, by count of what I was able to find looking at their archive they have about 34 ebooks and they're on a real good variety of subjects and the most recent one was uh, looks like published November 19th of this year and it's called NASA's First A aeronautics from 1958 to 2008 and i sorry i i get hooked on on history i feel like i i remember so little about things that happened during my life and when you get something that covers a good span like this 58 to 08 wow these ebooks are free f-r-e-e do a search for free on the internet and there's tons but finding something of value that's free We'll go to nasa.gov, and that's where you'll find it. They support uh, different type of ebook formats. They support Mobi for the Kindle readers, EPUB for some other ebook readers. They also have PDFs that you can download. And there's mention of a format for Apple-type uh, devices, which I didn't necessarily see on the couple of ebooks that I looked at. But uh, they do support multiple devices, and there's programs you can use to convert. So. Take a look at this variety of, of ebooks that they have. They have one on technology information that's published routinely. There's one on the X-29A, that really odd forward-swept-wing research aircraft. I remember seeing it at an air show, oh, 20-some years ago. Cool, cool, talk about cool. <laughs> and lots of other things. NASA at 50, quieting the boom, talking about sonic boom. Uh, just to pick a random page here, one on X-15 research. Uh, Rockets and People Volume 1, Rockets and People Volume 2. You know, hey, if you get some downtime in the next month with maybe some vacation or holidays, grab you an ebook off the NASA.gov site and enjoy it and tell us about it. Tell us what you found that was special. Might be something that we'd like to throw in as a short bit on one of our shows, too. They really do have some great resources there. It's a mix of PDFs and books and full-length things, and it's definitely worth checking out. So you got a bunch of stuff to check out tonight. So I know you're not in school, but don't forget to do your homework and read. Price is right, too, gang. I mean, this is a phenomenal resource of free stuff. I've posted uh, links on this on Twitter and on my own Facebook page numerous to- numerous times, and it is definitely worth taking a look at, guys. It is, I mean, the information that's stored here is just absolutely phenomenal. And Mark, hats off to you for reminding us about it because it's a resource that 
just gets overlooked so much. And I appreciate you bringing it to the forefront. Exactly. And with that, that brings this jam-packed episode to its conclusion. I'd like to thank everybody who joined us here tonight. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. I had a blast, Sawyer. Thanks so much, and looking forward to next week. Oh, yes. And thank you as well, Mark Ratterman. Good to be here as always. It's a lot of fun talking with y'all. Indeed. And thank you as well to our special guest, Emily Carney. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I should add, I've got one more question for you. If people want to find out more about you or read any of your articles, where can they go? Uh, Spaceflightinsider.com. Just head over there, and you can read all my articles there. I'm on Facebook. Feel free. And uh, I'm on Twitter. Feel free to hit me up on there with any questions, emails, whatever. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you as well for listening. And we hope you'll join us next time. But until then, as always... Have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are.